Welcome to the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas, with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. Welcome to the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast. We appreciate you tuning in today. This is episode 90, Ryan. It's episode 90. Uh, I'm your host, Josh Shelton, with my friend and co-host, Ryan Ray. Ryan, we got an interesting week this week, man. How are things going on your end? Good, man. Good. A lot of stuff happening. But, you know, what's really, truly funny is, Josh, uh, if you want to know how many friends you have, offer them a free fishing trip. I have heard more about the free fishing trip at Baffin Bay Rod and Gun that we're giving away this past week than I have in a long, long time about anything I've had going on. So excited that they partnered with us. And uh, I got an email this morning asking about the website. The website, we are working on it. It's not up. TexasOilAndGasPodcast.com. As soon as it comes up, I'll probably post something on LinkedIn. Hopefully, it'll be ready this time next week, Josh, uh, next Monday. But no promises. We are working on it, though. But um, Baffin Bay Rod and Gun dot uh, com is the website and they are the official yeti La- uh, lounge lodge they're the official yeti lodge in the state of texas which means that we should probably be the official oil and gas podcast in the state of texas since we're partnering with them that's what i mean it makes sense to me what do you think make makes sense to me yeah you know <laughs> um that 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 fishing trip i figured we would have reviews coming in like crazy but i think we're giving that away at the website, uh, on the website. So now, yep. don't don't let us stop you from giving us a five-star review though don't please don't let us stop you for that. But yeah, Baffin Bay Rod and Gun is the sponsor of the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast. As Josh just mentioned, we will be giving away uh, a trip um, to two lucky listeners every month, maybe three, depending on what Josh and our schedule is. But you'll get to go down and fish with Josh and myself, or bo- uh, either either one or both of us, out at Baffin Bay Rod and Gun Club, which is can be found at Baffin Bay Rod and Gun. Dot com And I think, Josh, you're going to start sending us in kind of a weekly quick fishing report so we can do that before too long. And uh, I'm excited, man. I'm going to go down there, rip some lips, and uh, and have a good time. And then also, another, another thing is we can announce, I guess, officially, Josh, that you are the newest member over at R-Square Global. Uh, excited to have you on board with the team yeah. there. So congratulations. Yeah, today is uh, actually my first day here, Ryan. And, you know, I wanted to commend you. You know, I've... Uh, being a great leader, they say that you need to surround yourself with people that are smarter than you, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're off to a hell of a start. <laughs> you beat me to it. I had something to say, but now you've you've taken the thunder. So kudos to you, sir. Yeah, I guess you are smarter than me. So, <laughs> well, uh, Ryan, you're speaking of some of the reviews that uh, that came in. We had one. That came in uh, last week, right after we did our podcast on January 7th. Emma ABB, uh, quality content every episode. She said that she works in the oil and gas and she finds the podcast to be an amazing resource. It's informative and to the point. And the guys always have great guests. Thanks, Ryan and Josh, for making the commute easier and for impressing my coworkers with all up to date insight into Texas oil and gas. Thanks a lot, Emma. Awesome. Really appreciate it. And Josh, uh, on that note, remember we've announced the winners twice now. We've got one person who's claimed the prize, two that have not. Um, go back and listen to the last two weeks episodes, and you can find out the information. I got one gift basket winner, uh, winner who has claimed it. The other gift basket winner, gift basket winner, and the trip winner have not claimed the prizes. The gift basket will only sit around my office for about another month before I will pop open that bottle. So, if you want that, you need to claim it. the The winner for the VIP tour, you have a, a little bit longer on that. Awesome. Well, Ryan, uh, 
lots of news came out this week. You know, anyone that listened to our podcast last week would have heard a certain kind of a a feel uh, to the outlook uh, for the year. And it seems that that outlook has shifted a good deal this week, Ryan. I mean, I, I don't know how much uh, news you've been you've been looking at and keeping up with, but um, lots of things happening in the oil and gas market, lots of stuff surrounding OPEC and uh, and different predictions for the year. But I figured we would just kind of stick to some of the reports that came out and some of the measurements. We have one, uh, I think it's Rostad Energy. Mm-hmm. Uh they said that Haynesville Shell set to surpass 2011 gas output record. Um, what's interesting here, Ron, is um, they're they've been measuring this with some of the rig counts, and uh, and and they're saying that the demand for the U.S. LNG is driven by the Asian market. And, you know, we did some several stories last year, mm-hmm. maybe it was the year before last, Ron, about Asia and the LNG, and they were striking some really big deals uh, with some of these companies. Yeah, no, it's interesting, and and I think that the the big takeaway here is. Um, I was back in the Haynesville show working in 2008, 2009, 2010, 2011, during all this time. Um, in 2000, by the time you got to 2011, it didn't feel feel nearly as big as it did in 2000, I guess, 8, 9. Um, but it's, it's, it's important for us to remember, as we go through 2019, um, and as you mentioned, there's kind of some debate about you know, how much um, demand will there be for the price to go up. But that aside... That the production numbers, it seems like each year, Josh, it's really hard to quantify the rig count versus the production because the production, it goes up and it goes up and it goes up. And there's not a lot of news sites talking about the Haynesville shale. And here we see that, especially on the Louisiana side of the border, which is right there, that they're expecting record numbers. And it's like, okay, well, you know, it, it kind of shifts the paradigm on the news on what these um, these uh, these frackers, these EMP companies can do, because you would think, well, you need a bunch of rigs. Well, man, here we go. Um, and so I think that's a narrative to watch as we go through the first, second quarter. We might see the prices stay even on the oil side or the gas side relatively low or not move a lot. But I'm curious to see what happens with um with the um, with the volumes, and so you know, we look at the weekly storage report, things like that. I'm curious to see how those things compare going back just you know one, two, three years ago with the rig count, because as you mentioned, the rig count's not very high in some spots, and it's not going up dramatically, and yet we keep seeing these record production numbers. Now we do have to remember, anytime we're talking about production and and um, you know, the storage numbers and stuff like that, you do have the ducks that could be coming online um, to kind of offset some of that, but still we have. Um, the efficiency that we've increased in our rigs is, is really unbelievable, and this goes to show it. Yeah, it's interesting talking about the you you being there. I believe you said 2009, and um, it it mentions the collapse in U.S. gas prices in the second half of 2008, and the, the Haynesville became one of the world's most prospective shale gas reservoirs. So it was a it was a pretty big play, um, you know, in 2009. Oh yeah, uh, around were, the time you were. Yeah, we were there, and I remember them talking about, you know, we got. 10 years worth of work at the pace that we were doing, which was an insane pace. And, um, yeah, I think, I think we started like February or March of 08, something like that. Sounds about right. I have to go back and look at it. Um, and then, you know, by summertime it were maybe late summer, it was, oh my gosh, you know, this is going to be 10 years and I'm not blaming anybody. We all kind of, you know, we're thinking, Hey, here we go. And then a few months later, just the bottom fell off that thing. And it was, uh, <laughs> it was a much different feeling in two, 2009, 10, and so on after uh, after that, the price collapsed. Wow. 
Well, our good friend uh, David Blackman also wrote an article uh, this week and just kind of giving an overview of the oil and gas situation. You know, so he had his predictions that we went over last week. This week, um, he released an article that um, just mentioned some of the legislative uh, sessions that are, are going to be undertaken in the state of Texas, a lot of them having to do with eminent domain. Um, but they're looking at some of the budget. Um, they're up to $119.1 billion, which is up 8% from the last two years. And uh, he's expecting that there are not going to be very many increases in uh, taxes on the oil and gas industry. But, um, you know, hard to hard to say. Well, what do you think, Ron? I mean, about the eminent domain issues, is that something that comes up pretty often in, in the industry for you guys? Yeah. Or for well, us? Yeah. Yeah. Say for us now, huh? Yeah. Um, yeah. So the eminent domain issue is interesting because he doesn't really tease it out on the different layers that are there. And I'm not an eminent domain expert. We happy to get someone on. Um, we do deal with it, obviously. Um, I, I think this is going to be an issue that if it's not resolved this year, um, as long as we have the pipeline issue, um, where we need pipelines, which, Josh, we're going to have that issue forever. This mm. is something that the state's going to have to look at and eventually figure out where they're going to land. And it, it, it's it's kind of a catch-22, okay? Because if you're talking about a large pipeline, like we got a story about Epic. Okay, we're not talking about that. We're talking about um, the smaller gathering-type pipelines. Um, they don't have the common carrier status. So if you're talking about something like that, you look at it and say, okay, well, yeah, we want to come across Mr. Shelton's property, but Mr. Shelton doesn't want us. And, you know, the question is, is can the pipeline company, midstream company, um, go to court and, you know, get a lawsuit that states that Mr. Shelton um, has to allow him across the property? Interestingly enough, talking about the Hainesville Shell, we had a spot over there years ago where um, a couple of landowners banded together and, and blocked a Chesapeake pipeline at the time because they couldn't, it just caught it to go around. It was like the guy had like a section or two of land. And so it was like a mile or two to go around the property. And when they went around it, the way they had their, their gathering system spread out, it was like a mile or two miles between the laterals. I can't remember all the numbers. And so to go around it, you basically would have hit your other line. Um, just because you were so close to it. And so they blocked them. They were trying to negotiate, trying to negotiate, and then, of course, the prices fell out, and so it never really mattered, I don't think. But you do come into those situations where some, you know, especially in the West Texas or South Texas, we have a large landowner who is look who can um, really hold up the, the ability of the company to get the product to market because they own so much land that they, um, that they you know, the, the price of the steel and all that stuff to build around them just doesn't become feasible. So it's an interesting debate. I have mixed emotions, obviously, um, on, on some capacity. I think it needs to happen. And, but the, um, I guess I'll tell like this, Josh. I think it is something that needs to happen. Um, how the legal process needs to be revised, That's I, I've got mixed emotions on that. And if we do, we have a lawyer who specializes in these things. Would love to get you on, uh, 318-599. 9192 to hear maybe some some of the possible solutions that we could see this problem it, it, it is going to be dealt with though josh that's that's kind of my takeaway is we're building more pipelines we expect more drilling over the next 10 years uh or seven years at least it's probably gonna have to be dealt with sooner rather than later you know ron i was looking at some plats this morning and uh it was uh it looks like it has been an issue before for you guys yeah, i think david has here the statistics it's well over 90 percent of negotiations are resolved amicably um, but I guess there are a few that will be end up being condemned. The eminent domain rights are going to be used, and uh, yeah, I'm sure that's not the ideal process. I wonder financially if how big of a hit it is one way or the other. You know, if 
uh, owner refuses to let a pipeline company put a pipeline in, do they fare better or worse when they're condemned? And does the pipeline company fare better or worse? I know they got lawyers and legislative right. things they got to go through right. and time yeah. delays. Right. The time delay is going to be is going to be an issue that you really got to consider because when you look at this, you got commitments and you got things like this. You say, okay, we're going to hook up to this well. We're going to get this to market. Um, you know, the producer has volume commitments they're trying to keep, and so the time becomes a big a big factor. Mm. Um, obviously, it depends on the, uh, the the size of the companies too. So if you're talking about you know Josh and Ryan's pipeline company hooking up to Bob's well, okay, well we're we're kind of small fries, so smaller money, if you will. If you're talking about maybe uh, Pioneer selling to Kinder Morgan or something like that, the stakes are a little bit bigger, so you might have more money at play, uh, more volume. So all that stuff's relative, and that's the thing. When you look at making laws like this, you have to consider that there's different scenarios, and you also have to consider um, one of the things is is what extent do you make the pipeline company go to before they can invoke this privilege? So how hard do they have to actually work to prove that they did everything they could um, before they said, okay, well, now we have to you know, try to sue for this. It's very complicated, obviously. Yeah, that's very complicated. It's something that has to be resolved. I don't know how, again, the best way to do it is. Um, you just want to be, you just want to make sure that both sides are um, taken care of in, in something like this. Uh, next one, Ryan. Uh, start date for new Permian oil line in jeopardy on regulatory delays. So the Epic Crude Pipeline LP said the projected third quarter startup of its crude pipeline from the Permian Basin to Corpus Christi Texas is in some jeopardy. Um, so we've been looking at this for quite some time into some regulatory things. They said that the San Antonio-based company um, sent in a letter to U.S. Federal Energy Regulatory Commission dated January 8th that requested January 4th action of the FERC to pass a declaratory order that would allow Epic to set rates has now come and gone, causing concern to shippers. So it looks like they're going to be delayed. We're not sure how much, uh, but this was one of the things that needed to be passed by the 4th in order for them to hit their date in the third quarter coming online. Uh, so hopefully, I think they're saying here they filed a petition in October asking for its approval within 90 days. It would allow the company to start sh- uh, setting shipping rates on the line. So not sh- sure how this is going to how, – how far out it's going to push it, but it looks like it's certainly going to push it into the fourth quarter. And and this this piece here is more of just kind of a news update piece. And I, I'm curious, you know, we had the FERC commissioner who just passed away. Um, I think he stepped down – Let's see here. Yeah, October twenty fourth of last year, if I'm reading this correctly, he had stepped down. Um, he passed away just uh, about a week and a half ago. Um, that is uh, Kevin McTire, uh, Chairman Kevin McIntyre. Um, and I'm curious, you know, how much, if at all, that played into something like this because this they said they were looking for this if I, if I remember correctly around. Um, they sent, let's see, October. I think October was a date in here somewhere I saw. But anyways, um, so he just passed away. You have that. Uh, you have, yeah, yeah. Epic uh, filed a petition in October asking for FERC's approval. So I, I'm just wondering behind the scenes, you know, obviously um, he had, I think, brain cancer, tragically. Um, so, you know, probably wasn't doing well before the 24th, you know what I'm saying? Um, mm. And so I wonder how much something like that has played into this. And if it's a deal where they're waiting on... Um, and I, I haven't looked to see if they've got a new appointee or not. So maybe they have a new appointee, maybe they don't. But get the new appointee. The staff's kind of done all the legwork. I, I'm just curious who, um, you know, it, 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 it reads like it could be a big deal. But it could be something, Josh, where you had the man pass away. They're waiting on a new appointee. The staff has done all the legwork. And they're wait, waiting for a new commissioner or the shutdown or, or whatever it is. I haven't 
researching and that side of stuff just to kind of get everything tied up in a bow and say, okay, here's where we're at. And then all of a sudden you can get the approval um, yeah. taken care of. Maybe not. It could be a bigger deal, deal than that. I just wondered uh, when, I, when I read this this morning how much that factored into it. So I did a little bit of background research, but again, I haven't I haven't confirmed if they've appointed a replacement for Mr. McIntyre um, yet. Well, that'd be best case scenario if they could get in and just, you know, uh, get all this stuff submitted and, and returned and uh, approved. Right. That would be that would be fantastic. Yeah, I'm thinking if it's like any other government agency, you know, you have kind of the, the, the heads, if you will, but you have a staff that's really doing a lot of the legwork. So, um, again, if they have not replaced Mr. McIntyre, and I do not know that, I, I need to look it up, just ran out of time here, um, then the staff will be pretty well versed on what the particulars of this case are. Uh, this petition are and um, you know can can get up to speed pretty quickly, and also it is DC, so I'm sure everyone kind of has an idea of who the potential replacements could be, and so um, I, I I'm hoping that's all there is to it. Well, Ryan, um, I think I think that's it covers uh, the main articles. We have uh, two articles that we're going to go in the roundup today, where we talk about some jobs, um, outlooks, mergers, acquisitions, and things of that nature. Uh, the first one I had, Ryan, is U.S. Eagleford oil growth to stall in 2019 amid weak prices. We had talked a little bit about this, Ryan, that uh, in the Eagleford that the price, the break-even price was a little higher than it was in the Permian. Uh, and that was for you know, several different reasons. And uh, what we're looking at, uh, what they're saying now is that at less than $50 a barrel, producers in the western reaches of the Eagleford can't make a profit and may find it difficult to balance cash flows at operating costs. So I, I don't know how – Based on all the predictions, it's going to get over 50 um, this year. Should be pretty soon, uh, and they are they are thinking, you know, those, those numbers may may shift a little bit. But there's also another note in the article that says drillers in the Eagleford Central Basin will fare better with break evens ranging from the mid 20s to the low 30s, according to Ebermov. And don't worry about shutting wells. So there are some companies in Eagleford that are going to continue drilling. There are others that are going to wait for oil to get back over 50 before they can start turning a profit and drilling in the Eagleford. So there will be a at least a short-term stall in the Eagleford in 2019. Yeah. Let me, let me just a couple things on that, Josh. First off, you know, as we talked about before, the term break-even is a very loose term. It doesn't mm. – we just use it to – we have to have something to say – when we're talking about an article like this, uh, as long as the listeners understand that when we're, when we're saying it, we're not actually saying that $50 a barrel is the true number. It's a number that people come up with. And Ellen and I had a discussion last week on the Energy Week podcast about um, some of this type of stuff. And one of the things that was said was um, that the shale producers aren't making, you know, they're, they're forecasting the wells to make money back at this rate, okay? Well, then they go through this big old long piece, and at the end, they said that, I think it was Reistad they used, I can't remember who, whoever the consulting firm was. So it was Parsley Energy said that they're going to get X for their, their wells, okay? And the consulting firm that they that the Wall Street Journal was using to figure out if they hit those benchmarks or not was was only accounting for oil. So it, and the oil was only 75% of what it put through the pipeline. Okay, so that means there's 25% that Parsley was claiming that it was selling, you know, LNG products for. So it's very easily that Parsley could have been making actually more money than their projections were. But Rystad or whoever it was, I want to say it's Rystad. Maybe it's just who we talking about today. But anyways, whoever it was um, doesn't have access to that information. So they're kind of guessing on 
how close they were. Same thing here with this $50 barrel thing. Keep that in mind, folks. David Blackman, I've heard him say that it's, I think, in the 40s in some areas, and David understands this as well. So we're these terms are very loose. Don't don't bet your financial future or a business development strategy around that. It's a company-by-company company basis. And as you mentioned, Josh, we've, we've seen prices creep under 51 right now. You know, where will they go? We don't know. Um, but with some of the things it seems like happening, you've alluded to already, globally, it feels like the prices are going to go up, but it is still early to tell. Yeah, that's definitely the attitude in the market this week has been that the uh, the earlier predictions from the first week of the year are turning a bit more positive for oil price, at least uh, at least regarding the oil prices for the year. Um, there was another article that came out. MCM Energy Partners reveals recent $42 million Permian Basin sale. It says an undisclosed company agreed to acquire MCM Energy Partners acreage for $42 million. Uh, we don't know who that company is. I'm interested to see who that who that is. But MCM has been selling out for selling some uh, pairing out some of their pairing down its portfolio for some time now. So um, they currently own 1,320 net acres in the core areas in the Midland and Delaware basins as well as 12,000 continuous acres in the central Pecos County. So um, they still have, they still have some. Um, I think, I think this, their sale here is that 4,800 net acres of operated and non-op leasehold in the Permian. So, um, still a decent size company, not huge by any stretch, uh, but they are selling to an undisclosed company. And I will be on the lookout to see who that company is. I want to find out who it is and see if we can identify them. I don't know how long it'll take before that becomes you know, verifiable. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Josh, I guess we got what we got the the rig count. That's it, right? Yep. We got, uh, matter of fact, I'm pulling that up. Why right you the Rick out? If you're going to NAEP, let me know. I haven't decided if I'm going or not, but uh, let me know. You can find me on LinkedIn by searching Ryan Ray Senior, SR for Senior, so Ryan Ray Senior, or 318-599-9192. Just a few weeks away from NAEP, and so I'm not sure if I'm going to make it down there this year or not, but uh, if you are going to be there, let me know. I would love to meet up if I get on down to Houston in the next few weeks. All right, 1,093. It is down 2% from the previous week. Uh, 2% from the previous week. So uh, kind of what we were expecting, though, I think. We were expecting to be a slight decrease in recount for for a short while. Yep. And, let's, Josh, let's think of our sponsor again, which is Baffin Bay Rod and Gun. You can find them at BaffinBayRodandGun.com if you want to go rip lips with Josh and myself. Stay tuned because we will have a trip. That will be posted on our website, TexasOneGasPodcast.com. Working hard to mm. get that up so we can go rip some lips. we got to have the website to rip the lips. In the meantime, people, in the meantime, if you just want to hang out with Josh and myself and you want us to go rip lips with you, just give us a call. Well, you can pay to take Josh and me if you want to, or just me. You don't mm. got you know, Josh is secondary. Uh, but do check out Bath & Bay Rod & Gun. They are the official Yeti Lodge if, if in you want a, Texas. If you, want a chance of, uh, if you want a chance of getting first place, don't invite me. So, hey, the um, last time we went fishing, the last time we went fishing, <laughs> I can't remember how that, how that, I, I, if I remember correctly, you couldn't even throw the bait into the water. If I remember something like that, something like I that. Caught, I caught more fish, just all little bitty ones. <laughs> <laughs> that was the bait, Josh. That doesn't count. <laughs> okay, well, it's good to be back in the swing of things. Episode 90, man, 10 away from 100, so it's getting exciting. And um, 
Again, if you're meeting Abe, let me know. 318-599-9192. For Josh Shelton, this is Ryan Ray. Saying until next time, keep climbing. (laughs) 